I want you to find in your copy of the Bible so you can see it and you can take it home with you and you may want to make some notes or underline some words. Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. And I want to begin reading at, at, the, at the start of the chapter, but we're headed toward verse 19 where that phrase that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour, the hour of prayer, Luke records. And a certain man who had been lame from his mother's womb was being carried along, whom they used to set down every day at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, in order to beg alms of those who were entering the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to go into the temple, he began asking to receive alms, an offering for the poor is what an alms would be. And Peter, along with John, fixed his gaze upon him and said, look at us. And he began to give them his attention expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. And seizing him by the right hand, he raised him up, and immediately his feet and his ankles were strengthened, and with a leap, he stood upright and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God, and they were taking note of him as being the one who used to sit at the beautiful gate of the temple to beg alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he was clinging to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them at the so-called portico of Solomon, full of amazement. But when Peter saw this, he replied to the people, men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why do you gaze at us as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered up and disowned in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you disowned the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you, but put to death the prince of life, the one whom God raised from the dead a fact of which we are witnesses. And on the basis of faith in his name, it is the name of Jesus which has strengthened this man whom you see and know. And the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brethren, I know that you acted in ignorance just as your rulers did also. But the things which God announced beforehand by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ should suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and return 
that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Repent, therefore, and return, that your sins may be wiped away, in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And you know, that just is loaded with insight and loaded with encouragement. But I want to start at the, at the end of verse 19. I want you to look at that closely with me, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That's saying to us in clear words that when we know the Lord in his presence, when the Lord draws near to us, when the Lord makes himself known, his desire is that we should be refreshed in his presence not withering and cowering and scared and fearful and ashamed, but that when the presence of the Lord is made known, we're refreshed by his presence. Somebody will say, well, God is everywhere present. He's no more one place than he is another place. He's, He's equally present everywhere for that Bible word that we learned, omnipresent, God is all present, true, true. But he is not everywhere felt. He's everywhere present, <laughs> but he had never were felt. This is talking about the felt, measurable, observable, knowable, experienced presence of God. And there are some places and some settings in which he is more present than in others. So what we're we're talking about here, this is, as the old Puritans would call it, the manifest presence of God. And when the Lord's manifest presence is known, That which he desires for us to glean from that, gain from that, is refreshment, to be refreshed. Now, now I realize I'm talking mainly to folks who would say, I'm a Christian. I've received Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. I'm trusting him to be the way I'm going to get from Bear County to glory. I'm putting my trust in Jesus. truth is, sometimes along the way, in our life down here, we can find ourselves in need of a season of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. As a Christian, not as someone who doesn't know the Lord, someone who hadn't turned from the way the life we used to live our lives and turn to him. But even believers, and I might say even especially believers, need seasons of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Now, if that's you, or if you, you know what that's like 
to just have a sense. Lord, I'm reading my Bible, but I'm not getting anything out of it. I'm singing songs, but it's just noise coming out of my lips. I go to church because I'm afraid not to go to church. But as far as there being something rich inside of me, somewhere along the line, Lord, I feel like I've lost the tears of joy at what you've done for me. And I, I miss that. I miss the fire in my bones that I knew once upon a time. Lord, I need a season of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Now, if if that's you, if that's you, I want you to just walk with me through the words in this particular verse. You may want to jot down a definition or you may want to circle something and write a scripture reference out to it in your copy of the scripture. But I'd just like to walk you through the words that Peter spoke, given to him by the Holy Spirit to say not only to those people there then, but to say to us now. He starts off with that word repent. Repent. It, it literally means, here, here, is, here, is, here is how it breaks out. It's got a preposition and it's got a verb, and they stick together and they make a compound form of a verb. Meta naeo. The last part of that is the verb, to know, to know, naeo, to know. The first part, meta, is a preposition that means it's translated after. That means to know after. To know something now after I've walked through what I've just walked through. Or to know something after I've heard something that I don't know that I ever heard before. Now in the context, Peter is saying to the ones who are listening to him, repent on the basis of what he had just told them about Jesus of Nazareth, whom he laid at their charge as far as how they responded. The crowds responded, crucify him, crucify him. Remember that. You you, you chose to have put to death the prince of life in exchange for the life of a murderer. But God overrode your choices. You thought he was worthy of death. God from heaven said, that's my son. He has taken in his body the sins of the world, and he has died for the sins of the world. And on the basis of the fact that he completely accomplished what is necessary for the forgiveness of the sins of the world, I raise him from the dead. He came forth because he had accomplished the mission that his father had given him to fulfill all the, sacri- the, the, the sacrificial prophecies of lambs and turtle doves and oxen. He was the final and ultimate lamb of God. So Peter says, repent. In other words, now that you've heard who he was, now that you've heard that he's not dead, he's alive, 
And it's on the basis of the power that is vested in his name that this man who has been sick, has been crippled since birth, is walking on the basis of this new evidence you have. Change your mind about Jesus. Know something now after what you've heard that you didn't know before. And then the word to return. Repent, therefore, and return. It means to turn to, to turn toward. It, it was the idea, turn to God, repent, and turn to God. Repent and turn. Why? Why would I do that? In order that my sins might be washed away. And that seasons of refreshing would come from the presence of the Lord. Now, folks, you hold on to that last part. If it's seasons of refreshing from the presence of the Lord that you need, then hang on to that and realize that the Lord is saying there is a definite way that you can get there. There is a definite way in which the presence of the Lord in a seasons of, season of refreshing will come upon you. And here is the first part, repent and return. That your sins may be washed away and that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You say, well, I used to be a big time sinner. I did this, and I did that, and I did the other thing, but I, I'm a Christian, and I know Jesus as my Savior. But, Pastor, I'm telling you, I've lost something. I don't have in my heart the feelings of affection and devotion for him and the desires, the energy to serve him like I used to. But I am a Christian. Okay, can I ask you a very personal question? How many times did you bathe this week? How many showers did you take this week? Why did you take a shower? Why did you take a bath? Because you were dirty, smelly, greasy, on and on and on. I took a shower because I was dirty. And what the shower did for me was provide for me a season of refreshing in the presence of the water. Yeah. Scripture says, if we confess our sin, written to the church, written to Christians. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we confess our sins, if we step into the shower, if we get the tub water ready and we step in, if we confess our sins, he is faithful. He is just when he does it yeah. 
to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It behooves every brother and sister in Jesus who is longing for a season of refreshing from the presence of the Lord. It behooves us to ask the Lord, Lord, what is it in your sight that I need to repent for? Now, folks, I'm not talking about necessarily the big things. The big, the big things are the big things. But you think about your relationship with your closest friend on this earth. There are some things you just know about that friend that will offend that friend, that will hurt that friend. Let me never say it out loud. You can just, but you know them well enough to, well enough to know. And, and, and if you don't deal with it, if, if you don't ask forgiveness or you don't talk about it, what happens in the relationship? There's a distance. It doesn't mean the relationship is over. It just means that there's, there's a there's an elephant in the room, but there's something because you're that close. You just know that about each other. When Jesus' name is the friend of sinners, friend of sinners, when Jesus' name is Emmanuel, God with us, when it is true, Christ in me, my hope of glory, and he knows us. And he desires for us to know him better. But it's the things that hurt him, the things that sadden him, that can cause the work of the Spirit within us to be squelched or to be diminished. Romans chapter 8 will say, among many other things, that the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are the children of God. In other words, it is the function of the Holy Spirit of Jesus inside you and me to do the work of assuring and reassuring us that we really do belong to the Father, that we really are a child of God that we really have been forgiven, that we really are saved, that heaven really is our own. That is the function of the Holy Spirit speaking to my spirit, to your spirit, that I'm a child of God. But when something comes in to my life or to your life, that will as we're looking into someone that grieves the spirit, then the easy flow of that message of reassurance and assurance, the love of God being shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us, Romans 5, 5. When there's something that is going on in us that grieves the Spirit, 
then it stands to reason that there is a hindrance to the flow of that message of God's Spirit to our spirit that we're a child of God. The end result that that can be. Folks who can go back and say, I prayed on this day to receive Jesus. I, I, I was baptized. I've been in the church. Ones who have, have that as their testimony, after some time of this squelching the flow of the Spirit by choices that we make as believers, it's not uncommon for someone who has prayed to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord in time to get to the place of doubting that they even know the Lord. Why? Because it is the Spirit who reassures you. That you not, not, not your pastor. Not, not the one who put you under the water. Not your mother who prayed through with you. It is a singular role of the Holy Spirit of God to assure the child of God that I belong to the Father, that I am forgiven, that heaven is my home. So when I grieve him, when I grieve him, when I quench him, is another reference to that. It stands to reason that there is a hindrance of that which is for us a season of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. We're shutting off the flow. It doesn't mean that we were forever lost. It doesn't mean that our confessions were not real. It, it's just the sense in your heart that there's no assurance. You don't know for sure. You hope. But it is the Lord's heart that we walk in that place of seasons of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. I want you to turn with me to Acts, or excuse me, to Ephesians chapter 4. Just quickly, Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to read down through this with you. This is starting in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Paul writes, Therefore, laying aside all falsehood, writing to the church, writing to Christians, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we're members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer. But rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, for building up, according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace, encouragement, Strength, hope, all of those things in grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, 
forgiving each other. It's just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Now, as you listen to each of those items, each of those types of behaviors that the Apostle Paul lists, let, let that serve as something of a grid through which we look at this opportunity for a season of refreshing in the presence of the Lord to be ours, but realizing that if some of these things are operating in our lives, then there's there are some things or there is a thing that we need to repent for, even as a Christian, as a child of God. The, the, the word do not grieve the spirit. It, it means to cause hurt. It means to make sad. Now, it can be a great big thing but it can also be a small thing. Some of these things that Paul lists here, I mean, you think the, the rest of the world looking at this, I mean, what, so what's the big deal about, you know, being, uh, having anger in your heart towards somebody? Every world's full of mad people, but the Spirit is alive. The Spirit, the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. That's his personality. The, the, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is the person of Jesus without the body, without the physical body. The Holy Spirit is not just some vague influence or, or just some sense of something. A person. The Holy Spirit. Now, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. This is saying, Paul is saying, Christians didn't understand the Spirit who loves you, the Spirit who indwells you, the Spirit of Jesus who has sealed you. He has such the kind of heart for you that his feelings can be hurt, his heart can be saddened by choices that we make. Do not grieve. The Holy Spirit. The, the, the thing that's also interesting, too, is that this word for grieve, is, it's, it's not the word that is used to speak of loud lamentation, wailing, beating the chest in grief. This is the kind of grief that is inner grief. It's the kind of grief that may never, ever have an outward expression. Just the sadness to the heart. And Paul is saying... Don't grieve him. And he lists these things. He lists, these are things that would grieve the Spirit. So as a, as a child of God, as a Christian, someone in whom the Spirit lives and in whom now we have his strength available to us to count on to change our behavior, don't grieve him. But folks, as if as we pray through this, you're one of those, like all of us should be, longing for seasons of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Our, our, our heart would need to be open. Lord, show me where I've grieved you. Show me where I'm grieving you. Show me where I feel justified by this attitude, to have this attitude. But when I realize that it's bitterness or it's wrath or it's clamor or it's slander or it's malice, 
I see from this, Lord, that that hurts you. But you know, Lord, that I, I, I'm not capable of that being taken from me unless you help me. And, and that's, that's where he draws near. That's where the joy of, of knowing the Lord is so blessed and that in itself so refreshing. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest preachers since the church was founded, Metropolitan Tabernacle in London, England in the 1800s, latter 1800s, a man who walked, he would say at one point in time that, that, that I've, I, I, can't, I, I, I cannot remember one instance in my life since I came to know the Lord that I was not aware of his presence for more than 10 minutes in my life. It was just a 10-minute gap for whatever reason that I was consumed with something else. But I've always sensed his presence. But then he goes on to say this. He said, the times that I feel the closest to him, the times that his presence is the most real, are when my head is bowed and my heart is bowed and I'm confessing to him a sin that I know has hurt him. And I'm going to tell you this, Spurgeon robbed no banks. Spurgeon ran no drug cartel. It would be something that would seem like an inconsequence to But to him, because of the nearness of the presence of the lover of his soul, he just knew it. And he wanted it to be right. But instead of finding the Lord slapping him down and pushing him away and, and berating him with insults, he felt, he felt immediately the compassion of the Lord welcoming the confessing sinner. He said, Lord, I need a bath. I need a bath. I need you to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I confess it. I call it what you say it is. So don't grieve him. You can confess the sin of grieving him. There's another thing to notice, and if, if you would find the book of First Timothy, no, I'm not going to take you to Timothy. I want you to find First Thessalonians first, please, if you would. First Thessalonians five. First Thessalonians five. Paul writes, "Pray without ceasing." In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then he says, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Do not quench the Spirit. Where we're needing seasons of refreshing, there may be some specific things that we need to repent for, one of those being that we've grieved the Spirit. Here we find this statement, don't quench the Spirit. It suggests two applications for what does it mean to quench the Spirit. The word means to... to Shut off the flow, turn a faucet off so that the water doesn't come through. 
or to quench a fire, put out a fire. Stop the flow or put out a fire. We quench the Spirit in this context by despising prophetic utterances, Paul would say. Now, what does that mean? Do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully, hold fast that which is good. A prophetic utterance is when somebody walks up to you or sends you a note and says something along the line of, I feel like God wants me to tell you this. <laughs> I've, I've, I've tried to encourage prophets and budding prophets for goodness sake, don't march in to somebody and say, thus saith the Lord, God told me to tell you, because you know what? There is no wiggle room in that statement. You as the prophet can't be wrong, because God never misses. And then the other side of that is, if this person you just delivered a word to happens to not be able to agree with what you've just said at that, at that moment in time, the conclusion on their part is, well, I must be disagreeing with God. I must be because because they're saying this is what God wants me to do or what, how God feels, and I just I don't see that that's God. So I've got to, I'm having to make a choice. What 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 is what is the wiser, better way? To, unless you plan to be an Old Testament prophet, which which also means if you're going to be an Old Testament prophet, then you need to suffer the punishment of an Old Testament prophet who misses it. They were stoned, and I don't mean with dope. They were stoned. You don't walk in saying God said and then not be God. Better be careful. But to be able to say, and the friends will do this. Brothers and sisters in Christ at times will do this. I feel like there's just a verse of scripture that I just need to pass on to you. As I prayed for you, it just seemed like there's something that I just need to say. And, and, and you know me. You know I'm not perfect. I'm not coming to be a judge, I just, but I love you, and as I prayed for you, and I'm burdened for you, I just, I just feel like this is something you need to consider. That in a polite form, that in an easier-to-digest form, <laughs> can be a prophetic utterance. And so Paul is saying, you be careful to despise prophetic utterances. Sometimes prophetic utterances can, from, can come from quarters that we don't want to hear from. We can say, well, just look at their life. Just, just, just look at their life. Just look at what they've done. Sometimes it can come from sources real close to us. She's wearing your ring. You've been pulling food out of the same refrigerator for years. She says, I just feel like there's something I've got to say to you. And maybe it's that you get so upset when the subject comes up that maybe it's not even brought up anymore because it's not safe to approach you with that. Lord, I need a season of refreshing. I want to know the joy of the Lord again is my strength. 
But that one right there or that one right there can never bring up that subject in my hearing. I just want to encourage us all because it's not an easy thing. Because if, if, we, if we saw it and it was something that we were inclined to agree with, the direction we'd naturally move in, we, we wouldn't have any problem. But it's, it's because of, when a prophetic utterance is spoken, it's because it's something we hadn't thought of or something that we've already had the opposite conclusion is right. And that's why Paul says, don't despise it. Take it before the Lord. Ask him, Lord, what is this? But if there was a categoric, absolute shutting down, nobody can ever talk to me about that, no matter of approach to this particular subject, will I even entertain? Uh, there's, there's a stump in my field. But instead of blowing the stump up so I can plow a straight row, I just plow around that sucker. And then we wonder, what happened to the joy, Lord? What happened to that boldness for you, that love for you, that sense of your presence? And the Lord could say, well, I sent somebody to you to tell you this is a place I want to set you free. I'm not trying to punish you. I'm not trying to slap you down. That thing that you get so worked up about, owns more of your heart and mind than it ought to. And I want to set you free. I want to set you free. But then we get terrified. Well, what, what would life be like if I, didn't, if I didn't have that big thing to be mad about? What would life be like? We don't know. Seasons of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Uh, let me leave you with this, this last one. Or this, this. We, can, we can quench the Spirit in the ways that we've just mentioned, but we can also quench the Spirit not just by refusing to hear truth, the Lord wants us to hear that we can profit from and correct from, but also that we may have done this. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 14. To, to Timothy, Paul writes, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed upon you through prophetic utterances with the laying on of hands by the presbyter. Take pains with these things. Be, be serious about these things. And the application of your gift, be absorbed in them so that your progress may be evident to all. Turn over a couple more pages in 2 Timothy 1, verse 6. For this reason I remind you, to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of timidity, but of power and love 
and discipline. The immediate context for that verse 7, God has given us a spirit of timidity, is in reference to Timothy's use of involvement in the enablements, the abilities, the giftings that God had given him to serve with. Larry Henry, before the first service, we meet to pray, some of us before we start these services on Sunday. And Larry said, I just need to tell you something. He said, he said, I was invited yesterday to go and pray at a quinceañera. He said, and it was for a 15-year-old, I think a 15-year-old girl that he didn't know. He didn't know the people in the room, and there was a wad of them. But leaning over toward me with his eyes squinted like Larry will do when he's fired up about something, he said, I got to pray over her. And I got to pray over her, meaning I was able to speak the name of Jesus. I was able to pray blessing on that young girl. Whatever else he did, but instead of that being a drain, a bummer, what in the world is it? Who is this? And now this is Saturday morning and it's way up at church and all. What in the world? He was lit. Season of refreshing just showered the boy. As he was involved in the expression of the gift of love and the gift of compassion, the gift of mercy, the gift of grace just flowing out through his life. So Paul says to Timothy, don't neglect your gift. Stay engaged in the use of your gift. Understand the enemy is going to try to push you away and oh, how the enemy can use church people and church settings to accomplish his end. But as we say often around here, the church isn't Jesus. Jesus is Jesus. It's not the church who calls us. It's the Lord who calls us. And whether these expressions of gifts take place in this room, inside this sheetrock and ceiling tile on Sundays or whenever the church meets, church meets, is just one expression of the use of the gifts. Folks, this is halftime. This is halftime. The real game, the real competition is out there. And the Lord says, by his spirit, don't neglect your gift. Don't neglect your gift. Where the enemies pushed you back and pushed you away from the exercising of that which God had given you a heart to do, resist him firm in the faith. Don't don't go there because it's not a good place. It's absent of the place of the season of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. That word for refreshing literally means a recovery of breath. <laughs> How to get your wind back? It's a season of refreshing in the presence of the Lord, a recovery of your breath. It, it, again, it's, it's a... Preposition and a verb put together. Ana meaning again and suko meaning cold. Cold again. Cold again. 
It's the idea that the body gets hot. The body gets covered in perspiration. The body can be sapped of its strength. Refreshment comes when cool air or cool water impacts a hot and fatigued body. Oh, I just love the Word of God. Love the heart of God. It's as if the Lord is saying, I know there are times when you can get worn out in this life, when you can be disappointed by things, you can come to be exhausted by the heat of the surroundings. But I have the ability to refresh, to pour cold and cool and refreshing elements upon your weary spirit. Repent and return so that your sins may be washed away and that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. I'll just say it one more time. Repent and return so that your sins may be washed away and that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You see... Here's, here's another wonderful part about that. You don't have to run around and find somebody more spiritual than you, that you think more spiritual than you, and say to them, oh, would you please tell me my sins? Or would you please tell me how I have grieved God? There's, there's no third party in this, folks. You don't need a priest because you are a priest. We have a high priest, but we don't need to be spending our time trotting around hither, thither, and yon trying to get those folks to help us to figure out what's the problem this way. Lord, my heart's open. And I know I need a season of refreshing. Would you show me? Would you show me? where I've stepped away, where I've grieved you, where I'm quenching you. Show me, Lord. And he will. He will. He will. And then look, look at how that ends up. So that, so that, Repent and return so your sins are forgiven, cleansed, blotted away. So that in order for, with the result being, <laughs> seasons of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. Now, I've got to give you this one last little thing. That, that word for seasons is the word kairos. There's another word many of you are familiar with. There's a kairos, meaning translated time, and chronos, translated chronometry, chronology, where it's the sequence of events stacked up on a line. That's chronology. Nothing significant about the moments, in fact, other than it just, it just identifies that something happened there. The word kairos includes moments in time. But here's what it is. It speaks of a season of time within which something specific happens. 
The kairos is not enumerating the marking of the seconds or the passing of the hours. Kairos is specifically, the word that specifically identifies what God intends to happen at that specific time. It also has to do with the fact that it's not tied to the circumstances going on at the time Kairos hits. In other words, it's not about a time that makes sense or a time that is comfortable or a time that we might expect. It is the time that God says, it's now. And it doesn't matter what else is going on in your life or what else is happening around you. When God says it is time for a season of refreshing to come upon, engulf, saturate, and radiate from my child, it's coming. A season of refreshing is coming. So instead of us saying, well, I'm going to be refreshed when... When this guy that's such a knucklehead in my life, such a jerk in my life, when that, when that one finally gets his act together, then maybe I can get this season of refreshing. That's where you're trying to get your season of refreshing from men and not from the Lord. This kind of season of refreshing comes from the Lord. And it doesn't matter who thinks what about you. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what your financial state would be. It's time. Kairos, it's time. Opportune time. Preceded by, God brings me to repent. God helps me to return. My sins are washed away. Seasons of refreshing come from the presence of the Lord. Lord, we're going to trust you to take this where you want to take it in each of our hearts. Lord, I pray freedom, freedom, freedom will come from the understanding of these truths. The truth will set you free, you've said. And Lord, would you grant us the ability to remember and to receive what you are saying to us individually this day. So that seasons of refreshing, seasons of refreshing, seasons of refreshing, seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. In thy presence, David said, is fullness of joy. At thy right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. May we know that. May we know that unmistakably. In this season of our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. All the Lord's people said, amen, amen, amen.